Back to the Unrestricted Movie Podcast. We're here tonight at Marissa's Table Recording Studios, ready to talk about and discuss some kick-ass uh, movie. Movies. Movie? Probably more than one movie will come up. <laughs> I'm just, you know, just saying. So, uh, of course, I'm Josh, and I'm here with Ryan, as always. How you doing, Ryan? Yeehaw! Oh, all right. We're going to get right into well, the... Well, howdy, buckaroo! What in tarnation is going on here? Are we doing some sort of radio play? Is this some sort of radio play? Yeah, radio. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's kind of, I don't know. Does it have something to do with like telegraph, the telegraph or, do you know what It's a brand is? new thing invented by Alexander Graham Bell, some Yankee up north. I know, right? Yeah, those, da- those damn Yankees. Anyway, you were saying your uh, your partner, Ryan, was going to come? Well, he was, but I, I I guess you're here instead. What's your name? Well, I'm the prospector. A prospector? What are you prospecting tonight? I'm the prospector, Samity Elliot the Kid. Samity? Samity Elliot the Kid. <laughs> well, that's nice. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Samity Elliot the Kid. Well, I told you already I'm a prospector. Mm. Is and that- there's gold up in them hills. Oh, tell me about it. What are you drinking there, Josh? Sarsaparilla? Sarsaparilla. Yeah, just a little sarsaparilla. Hey, Josh. What's up? See this string on my back? <laughs> no. <laughs> there's this big string on my back. Do you want to pull it? No, I really don't want to pull your string, I promise. <laughs> Every time you pull it, I say one of my catchphrases. All right, here we go. <laughs> Darn tootin', I shot the sheriff. Oh, God. But I didn't shoot the deputy. I shot the sheriff. Well, Eric Clapton. Josh, you gotta pull the string again. Again? Please. Oh, does it hurt if I don't pull it like a cow? <laughs> yes. That's not, that's not milked? Please. We're not milking. It's hurting. There's a snake in my boots. Oh, shit. Okay, one more time. I got one, one more. more. Okay, one more. yippee ki yay motherfucker. Oh, Well. Oh, wow. I better ride off into the sunset. Uh, goodbye, uh, adios, amigo. I don't know what that means, but oh. see you later. Uh, see ya. <laughs> Ooh, hey Ryan, you, did you you made it? Did you make oh, it? Hey, sorry, I'm late. What yeah. the hell happened? Ah, uh, just you know, running late, doing errands, um, playing video games. I that really, sort of I really could have used your help a minute ago. Oh really? What, yeah. What, what was going on? I just had a little feisty little cowboy. Feisty, huh? Yeah, he was feisty. He asked me to pull his string a couple times. It's uh, kind of weird. I saw some guy riding off into the desert on a donkey. Was the donkey moving fast? <laughs> no, I think it was almost dying. It was like really dehydrated. What an ass. <laughs> Jesus. So Josh, we're talking about 310 to Yuma today. Woo! A modern excited. day Western classic. Modern day Western classic indeed. It is also a remake. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Dun, dun, dun. A remake of a movie based on a book. I yes, believe. but I will I will save my righteous indignation about mm. um, remakes for this particular <laughs> movie. Okay, but only because I've never seen the original and I'm ashamed. <laughs> Is there like a, a window where like if enough time has passed in your mind, you'll allow a remake to be made? <laughs> <laughs> it depends on the movie. Okay. If it's an older movie that's not necessarily considered a classic of, of cinema, like right. a cinematic classic, I have a little more leeway for that. Okay. Okay, but... So, like, the, the original 310 to Yuma, I hadn't heard of it before seeing the remake. Yeah, so maybe, you know, maybe there is some gray area there where I will allow it. 
It's movies like the the super classics, Ben Hur and stuff like that that they remake, and it's like you don't you don't need to touch the you don't need to touch it. Right. Speaking of gray area, though, there's a lot of gray area in this movie, huh? There with the <laughs> characters. There is, dude. It's the best part of the movie. The characterization in this film and the development and that their each character's arc throughout the film right. is pretty amazing. Yeah, you were mentioning before the podcast, we, we talked a little bit about the movie, and you mentioned the, the juxtaposition of the two characters, the two main characters, played by Russell Crowe and, and Christian Bell in the movie, and, and we'll get more into that. But yeah, I found that really interesting as well. Absolutely. And like you said, the gray area is like where we live. Right. You know, like it just, it, 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 it's what speaks to me personally. I, it, it's, it makes the characters interesting and, and adds those layers of meaning that I just appeal to me in movies. For sure. Obviously, uh, the point of the podcast is you're seeing these movies for the first time. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing this movie when it first came out, and you know I was really excited. And you know it, it came out around the same time that I was playing Red Dead Redemption for the PS3. Okay. And so I was like really into this, <laughs> All this into the new wave cowboy movement. <laughs> Sweet man. It's got a lot of uh, nostalgia factor for me. I, That's cool. I really love this movie. Tell me first impressions. What What did you think? Before I tell you my first impression, let me tell you what. I I was doing during the time when this movie came out. Oh, okay. 2007 is was the year premiere year of this movie. Yeah. 2007 was what missionaries call their dark year. Or for me, it was my dark year. So okay. a dark year for a missionary is the year on your mission. I've never even heard of this. And You've I never heard of it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, let me tell you about it, Ryan. <laughs> dark year. So what we called it was our dark year. Your dark year is the year when you're in the field the entire year. Okay. So male missionaries go for two years, so right. 24 months. So for me, that would have been 2006 because I, I was uh, right. on my mission from 2005 to 2007. Right. And so for me, I left in 2006. Mm-hmm. I was there all of 2007 and then was there for some of 2008. So 2007 okay. was what we called our my dark year. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Isn't it there, there's a lot of self-deprecating humor that missionaries and Mormons have in general that I just find kind of funny. <laughs> it's like, we're supposed to be enjoying, I guess, enjoy, not enjoying it, but right. we're supposed to be, no, I'm going to say enjoying it. You're supposed to be enjoying serving the Lord or right. the way we talk about it, but we, t- we called it our dark year. I, I guess we had kind of our own terminology. We, we had the, like the general terminology that most missionaries use, like, like greenies would be the new sure. missionaries, but... You know, we, we would have our Spanish t- terminology that we would use, but mm-hmm. we never had dark year. That, that's a new one for me. That's well, there cool. you go. Like it's, it. like, it's like the dark side of the moon, you know? <laughs> There's no light. But I can't disparage my mission experience too much because I really did enjoy my mission for the most part. There were some hard things, and being away from for an entire calendar year, like all of my 2007 is completely, you know, just me knocking on doors 24-7, right. you know, so. And and I look back at parts of my mission fondly, but there are other parts that were just, just uh, deep levels of despair for me. Honestly. So, you know, I'll, I'll dwell on it when I have my next therapist appointment, not here. <laughs> Make a little note you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, for that for your next session. But, but you, but I'm going to go back to, you know, the question that I was supposed yeah, to answer. Right. <laughs> Sorry to dive into that. Oh, tangent. I mean, but it gives a, it gives us a little context to you know the time that this movie came out and and why you may not have seen it. Well, it's like so literally, it would have been impossible for me to see this movie when it came out. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, there's <laughs> some gray area there, Ryan. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. Seeing movies or. Any movies other than church 
propagated material is prohibited. Is very much no, right. like uh, not allowed. Nilsia in Russian is Nilsia. 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 Okay. Anyway, this there was no way I would have been this able is to learn see it. Russian with Josh. Yeah, didn't even have anything to do with the content <laughs> of the movie, but movie's completely out. Okay, so uh, so you saw this for the first time. When when did you see it? So I actually saw this one while I was still Mormon for the first time. Oh, really? I did. Wow. Okay. This is one of my cheater movies. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, well, cool. but it's been several years. Several several years. I, I don't I don't even know to the point that I I really enjoyed the movie this time around having not seen it for a while. So the first time you saw it, you, you were still deep in, in the church mm-hmm. and you know told not to watch rated mm-hmm. R movies. Did you feel bad watching the movie with all the violence it had? I felt guilty about it afterwards, but I think while I was watching the movie, I didn't I didn't feel a lot of guilt. It's not a God, it's not an immoral movie by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, no, there's no not at all. there's no swearing. I think it's a very good examination, actually, of people's moral codes and how, I know. I how know. different each person's moral code can be, and even an examination of people who have zero moral codes. So, I mean, this... And there's is there even any religion alluded to in, in the film? I don't think so. No, I, I think... No, I mean, I don't think anyone's Catholicism like or, or anything is brought up. Just or, pure moral standards of a person, regardless of religion or... Right, or anything like that. It's, it's more of their their cultural, social standing, not necessarily their religious standing. You know, watching this movie, especially this last time, I was really pining for somebody to make either a Western series of movies or a Western TV series based on Mormon history. Mm. I'm down. Sign me up like, for that. Like, imagine, like starting in Palmyra, right? Mm-hmm. With, with Joseph Smith making these wild claims, and then moving to to Kirtland, Nauvoo, and then the trek out west, and the expansion in, into the west of the pioneers. And I mean, imagine those, how cool that would be. Those early Salt Lake days, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, there are all kinds of stories about Brigham Young turning off the water on people, and and I mean, this was all going around, going going on around the same time as all these Wild West mm-hmm. stories. Porter Rockwell and <laughs> yeah. the Can you imagine this and like just an episode on, on Porter Rockwell and yeah he, he's kind of like a um, who was the assistant to the Czar of Russia what was his name Rasputin he's Rasputin he's kind, of, kind of the Rasputin of Utah right <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could say that I don't know how much magic was involved right. Although, hey, why not add a Porter Rockwell to the next Kingsman movie or something? Let's go. <laughs> they, they kind of did make a, a Western series uh, based on the early history of the church. It was called the Work and the Glory series. Have you seen any of those movies? I've heard of the books. Yeah. I didn't know they made a series on it. <laughs> my, I remember my dad had like the whole series of oh books. And God, it was the like, Work and the Glory. There were so many. Was... It was like 11 books and they were But they're thick. all huge. It was like, a, like, it was like a set of encyclopedias, basically. Thousands of pages long, by <laughs> Each volume, right? And it's all historical fiction about the pioneers right. and the Northwest and Joseph and Smith and Brigham Young. And exactly, all the, and then all they made folks. three or four movies. And the thing is that they didn't take a, a neutral stance on Joseph Smith being a prophet. They 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 depicted him as a prophet, basically, right. in, in the movie. Yeah, so. just the, just the good parts, not the shady parts. Well, just the was there polygamy in the series? No, no, not, not at all. I, I, don't, I don't think so. I I, I think I remember watching big, the first. That was two a big movies. part of the li- of their life back then. Yeah, well, the, in the Mormon Church, we don't talk about polygamy. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we 
don't talk about Joe. No, no, no. Oh, I'm um, singing for today. Yeah, I, I think somebody, not necessarily an ex-Mormon, but it, it might be more accurate if an ex, or not an ex-Mormon, an impartial, an impartial person. director and screenwriter makes this series based on the Mormon Church. I, I would watch that. I would give it a try. Right. I would give it a try. But yeah. So I guess I never really talked about how I felt about this movie. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay, because this, this is a great discussion. But, no, I really, really liked this movie. It was fantastic. Yeah. I love westerns. Some of my favorite movies are old westerns, like The Searchers and some okay. of those. And John some Wayne. John Wayne stuff. Yeah. I know How do you feel that's about the... tainted a little bit now that I've learned more about the indigenous people of this and, and about John Wayne. And about John Wayne. But, no, I'm, I'm, I'm down for, like, a good old school western every now and then. For sure. Like, um... How do you feel about those um, Clint Eastwood "Stranger Comes Into Town" type westerns? I, you know what, I'm a big, pretty big Clint Eastwood fan mm-hmm. altogether. Like, I love um, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and the Fistful of Dollars, and I, those are my and those are my jam. And the, like the original Magnificent Seven movie, yeah, was love he in that, that Wait, movie. Was, he was in no, that? I, I don't okay. think he was in it, but it reminded me of some okay. other films in the genre. Right. So, and that was when I was kind of ticked off that they did a remake of mm. the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, but I Chris actually, Pratt, right? I actually really enjoyed the remake. I never so saw that one. You should, you should check it out. Right, okay. it's pretty good. Okay. It's, I think it has a Skarsgård as the main villain. Oh, I can't remember which um, one. Alexander probably. Probably. He's he's gonna the be balding. The really tall one, right? I don't know. I don't know how tall he is. Or was it the dad, Peter? No, Peter's. no, no. It's not Peter Skarsgård. Okay. So it's probably Alexander. It's the guy with the porn stash. Was he in True Blood? I don't know. Okay, um, Alexander Skarsgård. He's gonna be a Viking in a new an, in a new movie based just on on Viking history, directed by the guy who directed The Witch. Oh, okay. I'm not sure if you've seen that trailer, but it looks really really good. I think it's called The Northman. Sounds good. Vikings are pretty badass. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed this movie. I it's one of my favorite westerns for sure, and just one of my favorite movies in general. I'm going to get into, you know, the a little bit of the history of the director, mm-hmm. James Mangold, in a little bit. Yeah, I just remember really enjoying this film when it came out, and then mm-hmm. this this latest viewing was just a pleasure yeah. to sit through and watch the performances of, of Christian Bell and Russell Crowe yeah. and Ben Foster. Oh, my God. I know, right? Just Such great, a great villain. Great character actors yeah. in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. And Peter Fonda. And Peter Fonda. Oh, right? And... Probably one of his last roles, I imagine. I don't. Yeah, he, I would have had to be. Rest in peace, Peter Fonda. He died, I believe, in in two thousand thirteen or something like that. No, but he nailed this performance. Yeah, just so good. Just one of the greats, you know, from Easy Rider, and I don't. I'm, you probably haven't seen Easy, Easy Rider. I haven't seen it, but I know I know enough about movie history that yeah. I know about it. So you know, just one of the dynasties of Hollywood, the Fondas. You know, right. you have Jane Fonda. You have his dad, Henry Fonda. Mm-hmm. Uh, 12 Angry Men? Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, Just one of the themes of this movie, I kind of want to relate it to our religious history and and kind of have a short discussion on this, if you don't mind. That sounds awesome. So one of the themes of this movie, so it it focuses on kind of a poor family just trying to to get by, right? They have Mm -hmm. this ranch. They're not getting enough water, so their ranch dries up, and so they're not able to grow crops, so they get really into debt, right? Mm -hmm. And so... 
This kind of reminded me of the concept of the principle of tithing taught in the church mm. and how oh, yeah. the church kind of encourages all members, it doesn't matter what their financial standing is, but encourages all members to pay their tithing and then promises them all these blessings if they pay 10% of their and, income. And if the blessings don't come right away, then they will come to you after you die, right? Right, yeah. Um, you know, blessings in the afterlife and in the the post-mortal realm, whatever you call it. But yeah, the, this concept, it can be damaging sometimes because, you know, in, in some general conference talks, they talk about when they were younger, their, their parents would let the family go hungry in order to pay tithing. Mm -hmm. And then, but no, they received blessings afterwards. So, you, God, it's interesting. I relate with Christian Bale's character so much. Because, you know, from the beginning of the film, he has these choices, these impossible choices that he has to make. Like, he has to choose between paying off his debt and feeding his family. Right. And he chose to feed his family, mm -hmm. you know, at, I guess that ends up being at their expense. Ultimately, in, in the end, yeah. In the end. But it's like, these choices are not easy, you know? They're, they're so, so difficult. His character is so interesting in this movie because he, he definitely maintains... I call it an admirable and a very admirable moral code mm -hmm. in this movie. You know, in, in, in Westerns in general, usually there's good guys and bad guys, especially in old Westerns, there's good guys and bad guys. Right. But this Cowboys one... and Indians. Right. This one, there's a lot of ambiguity. There's a lot of gray area, like we said. Well, especially with Russell Crowe's character. Yes. Christian Bale's character, his character is pretty Consistent. static throughout yeah. the entire movie. Right. Even, you know, all the way to the end. Right. Which reveals a lot about Ooh. him as he <laughs> move along in the story. But Russell Crowe's character is where you're seeing the, the this arc, you know, and growth and development. It is but, an arc, yeah. But to and when you compare the two of them, it's it's pretty amazing to think yeah. about. It's really deep. It's really it deep, is. Man. It is. So I, I just want to go into kind of a, a fan geekdom about James Mangold, the director of this film. Let's go. Tell me all about him. Just a huge fan of his. Hi, Marissa. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Guys, our Marissa. producer Marissa just walked into Marissa's table, our recording studio. What are those? <laughs> These are oh, chocolate croissants. They're heaven right here. Oh my god, give me one. They're so yummy. So yeah, I just want to geek out a little bit about James Mangold. Are you familiar with this director at all? <laughs> I always ask Well, this. you always ask me and I always say, not really. Um, <laughs> Have you seen any of his other movies? If you name some of his more popular movies, I can tell you, but I, I don't have a con any connection to a specific movie with his name. All right, so he's probably best known for making two Wolverine movies. One was oh. a mediocre Wolverine movie, which it wasn't the worst Wolverine Did movie. Did he do Logan? Was, and he made the best Wolverine movie, which is Logan. Yeah. Oh, damn. So you've seen Logan, right? Logan was one of the first R movies that I saw nice. after leaving Religion. Okay. Did you you like that one, right? Oh, it was great. Okay. Yeah, it was so good. Such oh. a great take on the character. And that one's interesting because it has a lot of Western tropes. Total, it, oh, it totally right? does. It's almost, oh, now that you're It's like a modern day Western. It's like True Grit. Yeah. Where he takes a young person under his wing and like, oh, okay, True anyway. True Grit is so good. Both <laughs> of them. The original with John Wayne. Yeah. Okay. The original was great. Right. 
Oh, we're just gonna ruin crush all of my like well, stereotypes it, about remakes because I loved the new I loved the new True Grit movie. Right. Well, was that, was that a rated R movie? Is that something we could cover on the podcast? The original? Yeah. No, the the remake with Haley Steinfeld. I don't believe so because no. I wouldn't have seen it. I don't Haley Steinfeld gave a great performance. That, oh my that, god! In that movie, I mean, now she was introduced. Now she's so. Kate Bishop. Right. You know, so <laughs> whatever. What you know? Great series and stuff, but a little. But yeah, that has um, <laughs> what's his Bridges. name from Tron? Not not um, Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, yes, such a good Great movie, actor. such a good movie. Yes. And the like I said, I really enjoyed the original too. Although never seen the original, I love the uh, grittiness and darkness of the new. Of the I, new I'm film. sure that in the original, John Wayne was just playing his drunken son. Oh, it's just like <laughs> that will be the last mistake you ever make, and you know, just all of the all of the lines. Do you know how much I make per year, young lady? We're rolling, John. <laughs> Get me another drink. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so James Mangold, back back to him. So yeah, he made the two Wolverine movies. He's also known for Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash biopic. Great movie. And Ford versus Ferrari. It's the new one that came out with um, oh, Christian I love Bale. That movie. Yeah. So good. Oh, so he's like a Christian Bale. I, like they they worked team. together a couple yeah, times. A couple yeah. Times. Yeah. Something interesting about him, he'll be taking over for Steven Spielberg to direct the fifth. Indiana Jones movie. What? <laughs> so, Let's go. Is Shia LaBeouf going to be back? I don't know how to feel about this yet because they haven't announced the cast. It's a joke. Right? Is it actually pronounced Shia LaBeouf? Shia LaBeouf? I always say LaBeouf. I say LaBeouf. I don't know. LaBeouf sounds cooler. There's... LaBeouf sounds like he's a douche. The, the, the... <laughs> well, I mean, some people would probably agree with you, Marissa. There's a song about Shia LaBeouf that maybe you could put in a snippet, Marissa. Maybe I'll send it to you. <laughs> But it's about Shia LaBeouf being a serial killer. <laughs> oh, good God. Anyway, so, yeah, James Mangold is taking over for Steven Spielberg. They oh. haven't announced the cast yet for Indiana Jones 5. I really hope they don't bring back Harrison Ford. He, I, I, I just think he's too old. I love him as an actor. I love him as the character. But then what are they going to do? Is it going to be... Well, let me ask you. Wh- who, who, who do you think they should replace? If, if they were to pr- replace so Harrison just Ford... So to- just a recasting of Indiana Jones. Just like they do with James Bond. Like a reboot. Not necessarily a reboot, just like a continuation, like they do with James Bond. Well, the newest James Bond movies are kind of prequels. Okay, let's have it be a prequel. Let's have it be like a young Indiana Jones. Young Indiana Jones? Not Shia LaBeouf, decidedly. No, Um, Oh, gosh, this is, you're springing it on me really quick here. Right. Can I tell you my suggestion? Tell me your suggestion. I'm going to ponder this. I'm going to search, ponder, and pray for a moment. (laughs) Consult your Heavenly Father. <laughs> we can add that later, Marissa. You know, okay, so I just saw the movie Nightmare Alley. Okay. The Guillermo del Toro movie. I've heard movie. about this movie. Okay. And it's starring Bradley Cooper. And Bradley you know, I'm, Cooper. I'm kind of warm and cold, or, or, or uh, cold and hot on, on Bradley Cooper. Mm-hmm. With this movie, though, I thought he gave a great performance. And he dons an Indiana Jones type hat towards the beginning of this film. And he puts I, on a fedora? And when I saw it, I went, oh my god. He should be Indiana Jones. Like, he would make a great Indiana Jones. I mean, he's not... He wouldn't be a super young Indiana Jones. No. Like, like we were talking about. I, you know what? I could see that working. I think they should do it. I could see that. I could see that working. I think if James Mangold has his wits about him, he should recast Indiana Jones. Don't bring back Harrison Ford. Don't bring back Shia but aren't they going to want to bring... Aren't they going to want some younger up-and-coming... 
got because Harrison Ford was. I guess he was coming off of Star Wars when they put him into Indiana Jones. When they cast Daniel Craig as James Bond, he wasn't an up and coming actor. He was a, a I, wasn't he like already legitimate? He was pretty established. I, yeah, established. I think. But Ugh. that's what I'm saying. I'm like, this, to, can I think of someone else? Yeah. I mean, who would you cast? Younger guys. I don't know. I'm trying to think of younger actiony kind of guys, but I I'm drawing a blank. I mean, don't say Chris Pratt. <laughs> I'm not going to say Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt. No. No, not Chris Pratt. Um, although he kind of fits the jokey kind of guy. No. Timothy Chalamet doesn't have it. I don't think that's going to work. No, that's too young. No, he's too young. Um, he still plays teenagers. He still plays teenagers. Yeah, I'm sure he's in his 20s, but you know, tw- people in their 20s play teenagers. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't That's a hard that's a hard mantle to take on. Okay, watch like, Night, watch Nightmare Alley. Watch the scene where he dons the fedora, and tell me okay. later if, if you think he'd make a good Indian. I'm sorry to disappoint. I don't have any <laughs> ideas for other people, but you know. All right, let's get I, back to that's uh, just an iconic character. So, yeah. <laughs> anyways, let's get back to this movie we're talking about, Three Ten to Yuma. Yeah. Shall we get into the synopsis? Let's go. We kind of already talked about the opening scene. Yeah. Christian Bell, he's playing a, a character named Dan Evans. He lives with his wife and his kids on this ranch. Right, and we already said how the ranch isn't doing too well because it's not getting water mm-hmm. uh, to feed the crops, and um, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. Just, sure. Um, uh, in the middle of the night, he wakes up to find that somebody sets his barn on fire. Right. No! Stop! Stop! You have a week, Evans. Then we burn the house. So he's told by the arsonist that he has one week to pay his debtor or he'll lose the house too. And his land. Right. Dan grabs his son and they run into the burning barn to save the horses and shit. Dan, at this point, he kind of shows how protective he is of his sons because his son like goes back into the barn to like mm-hmm. grab a saddle or, or some shit. Mm-hmm. And Dan rescues him basically because the right. barn collapses right. at that point. Can I just say, teenagers are freaking jerks, man. Well, they, teenagers they don't, they don't are jerks, think, right? <laughs> He's like, his dad literally saves his fucking life yeah. by pulling him out of the burning barn, and he's like, why'd you do that, dad? <laughs> Come here, let go! Let go! That's the last beat we got! won't god i mean think back to when you were a teenager you were you were thinking mostly about yourself weren't you i know but i just christian bale's character is so thankless in this movie he has basically one leg like he's he had one leg was partially amputated or part of it was removed because of his you know civil war service for the for the north right and it's just like Show your dad some respect, man. Yeah, he doesn't really get thanks until the very end of the movie. Yes, when he's dying. he gets some payoff. Spoiler yeah. alert! Oh God, you just spoiled it right from the beginning, Ryan. Good <laughs> grief! No, it's okay. So you know the barn collapses. Dan's wife at this point co- confronts him and mm-hmm. says, "What the fuck, dude? You told me that the <laughs> debt was paid." Oh um, yeah. Apparently, he had told her that he paid the debt. All was good. Oh. 
but you know, he, he's like, well, it was either that or we would all starve. Or so the family, right? you know, yeah, like there would be, we wouldn't be here to live on the barn if I hadn't, you know, right. fed us. But it just goes to show, guys, communicate with your spouses, please. Right, Marissa, <laughs> communicate with your spouse, especially when it comes to financial stuff. <laughs> but yeah. you know, there's also this, you know, toxic masculinity that guys, that us dudes, have to deal with. Yeah, and these have, have to deal know, with. This, or? No, no, no. Get just listen. Just hear me out for a second. We're supposed to provide for our fa- supposed to provide for our family financially without, you know, like our wife's support. We feel like we have to burden all of it, right? And this is, I, I, I guess, that's an uh, an expectation by society. Sure, I, I'm going with and also like church stuff, okay? Because okay. like within the church, especially, they hold to these old standards of what a man should and shouldn't be, and what yeah. a woman should and should not be. And it's and it and they put that burden solely on the man. If you read, you know, the official declarations and articles or whatever, this, the proclamation of the family, it's all about these gender roles that they continue to enforce. And anyway, and I, it's very archaic. It's very archaic. The very patriarchal system school. where the man hunts and gathers, and the woman is, is just nurturer, and that's it. So I, I, although he should have talked to his wife and been equal partners in all of. That stuff, that's not the society that they lived in. Marissa, I feel like you have something to say about the subject. Oh, yes. Uh, the lady, the beautiful lady in front. Yes, go ahead. The, I yeah, just what, wanted to, to put in that this patriarchal system, again, I just want to reiterate that it doesn't only hurt women. It hurts men. Yeah. Like, this whole, like, exactly what you guys were talking about, it hurts both sides. It's Fucked not just, up. like, a one-sided, oh, poor women, because... I, I don't know. I'm like, I'm a strong-ass woman, and I can hold my own ground, but yeah. I, yeah. it These hurtful sides. Hurtful systems, they, they hurt everyone. So Although some people more than others, I will still say, but yeah. So I, I do feel for Alice in this movie, because, you know, she she's just kind of left in the dark oh, when it comes to... She's keeping everything together. Still, when know? it comes to the financial standing of the family, and, yeah. and she rightfully gets upset when she learns that the debt hasn't been paid and that he used some of the money to, you know, put food on the table, like you say. Regardless of whether it's the right decision, she needs to know about that. Right. You know? So, it's her life that he has in his hands. Anyway. So, so they're they're in this position, right? They, they, they have to pay off the debt or else they'll lose the home. So basically he takes his sons to go round up some cattle and we see him grab, because the cattle got loose during the mm-hmm. burning of the barn, also, some great Christian Bell yelling straight straight from the beginning of the movie, like yeah, Rachel, like you know, <laughs> right from the night. Be- right dark from night. the beginning. Yeah. I swear to God, swear to me, ah! Rachel, where are they? <laughs> so I had to throw that in there. It was it was definitely a, it was like a precursor to, to the dark. The Dark Knight, wasn't it? Um, 2007. Around the same time. Around the same time. I think The Dark Knight came out in 2008. Was so, it 2008? Yeah. Sorry, I don't have my dates completely set with that. So it yeah. was, I think it was between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. Oh, probably. there you go. Yeah. Some good yelling from <laughs> Christian Bale. So he takes his sons to go round up some cattle, and we see him grab one of Alice's jewelry pieces at this point. This comes into play later. Right. The next scene introduces us to Russell Crowe's character, Ben Wade, who... Just does an absolute magnificent job in this movie. And is wearing a really cool hat. Out of all the Russell Crowe performances, even including Gladiator, this is my favorite. Whoever was in charge of the wardrobe in this, like... <laughs> what would you call that hat? Because I've seen that before. I don't I don't know the name for it. It was just 
freaking awesome. And, 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 and it's, then, like, it's usually the, bad guys in Western movies that wear yeah, that. Yeah, black hat, hat, like kick ass, like vest and stuff. Like yeah. he's like the real deal. So Ben Wade and his posse, they're getting ready to rob a stagecoach, right? Mm-hmm. And among the group of criminal scoundrels that he has in his posse, we see Charlie, who's played by Ben Foster. Who's a badass motherfucker. Ben Foster is one of the best character actors of our generation. He's kind of, he plays... Can you run down some of the other films that he's been in for my benefit? Because he, he was in, uh, let me just pull up his IMDb. I'm not sure. Because I don't want to get the names wrong. Any of our, I'm assuming that some, a lot of them are rated R, I don't know, I'm assuming. Yeah. So, you know, maybe some of our listeners who are new to rated R movies like me, maybe they don't know. So, he was in a movie called Hell or High Water. With the aforementioned Jeff Bridges okay. and Chris Pine. And him and Chris Pine play brothers who are bank robbers in that movie. It's a really good movie. We could cover it sometime in this okay. podcast. I think cool. it might be on the list. Cool, man. He's really great in that movie. Let's see what else he's been in. He was in this really good movie that I saw a while ago. It was kind of an anthology movie where they, you know, have different stories that kind of meld into each other. Mm-hmm. I think it was called 1110 or something like that. But he's just this really good character actor. And every movie that he's in, he just kind of stills the show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely a movie-stealing performance. Yeah, I mean, he's just a, an evil dick in this movie, right? <laughs> Some great character acting. Him and Fonda, because Fonda has a, a, somewhat of a bit part. Yeah. And also, the girl from Hocus Pocus is in this movie. <laughs> Who are we talking about? The saloon. The oh saloon yeah, girl. yeah, that's right. Yeah, and um, Alan Tudyk, who plays Doc, and Alan Tudyk. Oh god, you know some great from characters. from Firefly yeah, Alan and, um, uh, and the, the Duke of Weaselton. Many many voices. <laughs> yeah, the Duke of Weaselton. <laughs> Weaselton. Anyway, so uh, Russell Crowe. Great stuff. Uh, Russell Crowe and his posse. They're getting ready to rob the stagecoach, and Russell Crowe stays up on the hill with another sharpshooter mm-hmm. as lookout. While Charlie kind of leads the rest of the posse in attacking and taking over the wagon. But they don't know. I, I'm not sure if they, they know. I, I, I kind of got, got it from the movie. But the wagon is full of Pinkerton agents. Right. right. They know that the wagon has money on it. But I'm not sure if they knew that it was full of they Pinkerton They knew it had a Gatlin gun. Right. I mean. <laughs> right. Are you familiar at all with the history of the Pinkertons? I am not. Okay. Enlighten me, right? Well, I'm not going to go too much into that. Okay. And, and instead, I'm going to... Yeah, I'm um, not sh- I don't know. I don't... I think I know what a Pinkerton is. So a Pinkerton agent is kind of the precursor to the police. Oh, okay. But basically they were... Are they federal? No, they, they, they were um, an agency hired by corporations to protect corporate interests. Okay. Right? And so kind of like what the police guards. do nowadays. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, fair enough. Um, no, so the, um, the Pinkertons still exist. And if you guys want to know more about their history, I would suggest a podcast by, it's called Behind the Bastards with uh, Robert Evans. Robert Evans. So are the Pinkertons bastards? Yeah, they, oh. they have kind of a bastards history. Not a lot of gray really area, just a lot of that negative stuff. Not very honorable. So, I mean, we're talking about moral codes right. in this film, so not in my opinion, moral code. In my opinion, the Pinkertons suck. Okay, well, <laughs> fair enough. But they're like mercenaries. Not necessarily. I mean, they're they're protecting the corporations that they work for, right? Okay. They're they're yeah. paid. They're, they're paid like mercenaries, okay. sure. But they're. I guess you could call them mercenaries. Why not? <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, so things kind of go off on uh, off the deep end, right? When they're trying to rob the wagon, right? People die. 
Yeah. What, one Shit of the, happens. <laughs> one of the men in the wagon you mentioned, Peter Fonda, mm-hmm. um, he plays a Pinkerton agent called McElroy. Mm-hmm. He begins taking out members of the gang. Right. Russell Crowe has the idea of using Dan's stray cattle on the hill to block the path of the wagon, Mm -hmm. right? And so this causes the wagon to crash, and Charlie, the the Ben Foster character, he shoots and kills all of the men from the crashed wagon except McElroy. Right. Well, he actually does shoot him, but he doesn't kill him. He gets mortally wounded. Right. But Russell Crowe tells Charlie to keep him alive. Mm -hmm. He wants him kind of as leverage, basically. Right. We get a glimpse at this point of just how heartless Russell Crowe is at this point. Right. Like you say, he does have a a character arc in the movie. Right. So from first glance, he just looks like a a straight up, you know, just a bad dude. Right. You know, a dishonorable thief. Including at this point in the film where where, um, one of the Pinkerton agents takes one of his men from the posse hostage. Mm Mm-hmm. And what does Russell Crowe do? He blows him away. Shoots both of them. Yeah. Shoots his own man and the Pinkerton guy. Right. So. Just a cold-blooded killer, really. Very cold-blooded, very heartless. Mm Mm-hmm. But we'll see where his character goes from from here. Dan and his sons witness a lot of this, right? And right. Dan confronts Russell Crowe as they're they're headed out. He he wants to get his cattle back, right? Right. Because that's money. Mm-hmm. And so he's told he can have the cattle, but he's got to give up the horses, right? So that they don't do anything stupid. Right. So that they don't run off and tell the sheriff or whatever. Exactly. But Russell Crowe basically promises to leave the the horses tied up for him further down the road as they travel to, to Bixby. Right. The town of Bixby. So when Ben, Russell Crowe's character, and his posse arrive in Bixby, Charlie... The Ben Foster character goes into the marshal's office. This is this is kind of a funny scene. Mm-hmm. He's pretending to be just a, a straight up, you know, worried citizen, right? <laughs> yeah, sheriff. <laughs> he goes into the marshal's office, <laughs> tells them that he saw Ben and his men rob a stagecoach, and this kind of provides the distraction the posse needs to get some rounds of whiskey at the local saloon. Yeah, <laughs> some sarsaparilla. <laughs> Ben hits on one of the barmaids. Uh, you mentioned, what's her name from Hocus Pocus? I don't Pocus? know her name. I just know she's from Hocus Pocus. <laughs> and then, but he has kind of a, a, you see more of his human side in, you know, in that interaction with her. He basically tells her, let's go run off to Mexico. Right. <laughs> he's trying, you know, I think deep down he, he doesn't really want to do what he's what he's doing. He doesn't really want to be a bad guy, right? Like, he, he wants to just I, I think if he, if he if he could have it his way, he would be, like, a, an illustrator for children's books. <laughs> right? Because you see him illustrating owls, and, and he draws uh, a portrait of the of the barmaid naked, right? Right, a little Titanic action. Right. <laughs> the French girl. <laughs> uh, Vanessa Shaw is the actress's name. Oh, okay. Yeah, he draws, he draws a portrait of uh, Ben, is it Ben Evans? Christian yeah. Bale's character. He draws a portrait of him later in the film. Uh, Dan Evans. Dan, Dan Evans. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. So, so him and the barmaid go up to the second floor for some apparently some drunken sex, but actually they're just he's just drawing her. The marshals at this point they, they stumble upon Dan who found his horses and McElroy who's who's mortally wounded like you say. They ask Dan which way Ben was headed, and he tells them looks like they were headed toward Bixby. Yeah. And, and then they realize that they were duped. Yep. Kind of dumb. <laughs> Boy, do I have egg on my face, one yep. of them said. <laughs> so they head back to Bixby where they take McElroy to the veterinarian. 
I mean, he's basically the a doctor a, in town. He's the doctor, right? But he, right. he mo- mostly works with animals. Yes, and this is Alan Tudyk's character. Alan Tudyk, a wonderful, another wonderful character actor. Mm-hmm. Dan has a run-in also with his debtor, Hollander, right? Yes. You know, kind of pleads. He says he needs more time to pay. He needs, you know, help getting his land not to be dry. Right. Hollander just ignores him and, you know... Doesn't he tell him, like, you're the one in charge of the water. Why aren't you, you know, providing water so that I can be more profitable and pay you back? That would make sense. And his response is, your land is worth more without you on it. He's doing it intentionally to get him off of the land so that he can... Right. Profit from it. And to anyone with a direct super supervisor or a direct <laughs> lo- hierarchy of supervisors, this this is very familiar. Well, where you'll you'll say, I need this and this to do my job. <laughs> you keep telling me to be more efficient in my job, but I need this to do my job, and then you get nothing from me. I mean, who doesn't feel like that sometimes? <laughs> Don't we all, Ryan, as a postal worker and a teacher, take it from us. <laughs> yes, yes, please. <laughs> That sounds like the beginning of a joke. I know, right? A and postal a, worker, a, a teacher, teacher. And, and a producer stay moonlighting home. as a, a non-profit organizer. Stay at home, a non-profit organizer slash whatever, whatever. You're amazing, Marissa. I'm not trying to disparage you. I don't. I don't feel. Walk like, into a bar. I don't feel like this is the longest introduction to a joke ever. Oh, college student. We'll say college student. <laughs> Postal. <laughs> What's the fucking punchline, dude? There was no punchline. We're all fucked. We've had too much booze. <laughs> we all waste away our evening drinking booze. That's the end. Woo! So the point is, Hollander ignores his pleas. Dan plans on threatening Hollander at this point. At gunpoint, mm-hmm. he grabs a gun. But instead, he runs into Ben, Russell Crowe's character. Dan gets a couple of bucks out of Ben. Kind he of. gets fair comeuppance. Like, kind of. You get this yeah. feeling like Russell Crowe is actually playing Robin Hood a little bit. I tell you what. That should cover it. How much you get for a day's work? Two dollars. Want to hire out? Well, there's two dollars for half a day. You took up my boy's time, too. You're right. I did. Anything else you want to get paid for, Dan? Give me five dollars extra. And what's that for? You're making me nervous. He d- yeah, yeah. Robbing, the honest thief thing. Robbing from the rich, rich giving to the poor. Because he does pay him fairly for all of his trouble. Right. And even and he even requests more, and he gives him more. It's like <laughs> he does. Are you going to get shot, dude? Like, what are you doing? Russell Crowe is the generous criminal at yeah, this point, yeah, right? Generous criminal. So. There's the, another piece of the this arc of this character that you're it's, kind of revealing. It's a good arc. Yeah. It's a very good arc. Gets a couple bucks out of him, but he gets delayed enough for the law to barge in and arrest Ben. Right? Yes, which he doesn't seem to be really that nervous about. <laughs> well, I mean, later on in the film, we find out that he escaped Yuma prison two times already. So mm-hmm. I don't think he's worried about getting arrested. So a few men are appointed to escort Ben to the town of Contention, where he'll board the 310 to Yuma. Hey, they said the movie. The title title mentioned, the movie. We said it. Ding, ding, ding. Everybody take a drink. Mm. <laughs> And, uh, you know, there's a possibility that he'll be hanged for his crimes at this point if he if he goes to Yuma. Right. Dan, at this point, he volunteers to accompany the group because there's some monetary value in doing so. He's offered $200 for his assistance. Mm-hmm. Right? What's the inflation rate for that? Oh, $200. That's a lot. It seems like yeah, a little bit of money. Right? I'm not sure what the inflation rate would be for It would have been a lot of money. That would have been a lot. A, good, a, good, a good sum. Yeah. 
It, w- it would have been enough to, to pay off most of his debt, probably. Sure. I'm guessing. Charlie, the Ben Foster character, tries to get Ben back by threatening and then shooting some of the townspeople. The group, though, Dan and his group, narrowly escape with their prisoner and head to Dan's ranch for dinner. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm not sure how Dan's wife, Alice, feels about that. I don't think she really point. feels well about it. <laughs> Just once again, she's put into a position. She's getting stomped on, man. Yeah. Uh, make, make dinner for all of these freaking people. <laughs> Including this criminal, this murderer. <laughs> Dan's son wants to come along, but his dad won't allow it. So the son sneaks out during the night and follows them. Mm-hmm. The group, they, they make camp in the hills after dinner. And one of the men is killed during his sleep by Ben with a fork that he took from Dan's home. He kind of deserved it, though. They're going to hang me in the morning for the night is done. Hang me in the morning and never see the sun. I suppose it's too much to ask for a little quiet. He did. Because he was kind of provoking Ben before. You start thinking that he's not actually that much of a bad guy, and then he goes freaking psycho and stabs this dude with a million times in the neck with a fork. Right, in the throat, right? Like, that that was a brutal scene. That was probably one of the scenes that made this rated R, Mm. I'm sure. For sure, yeah. Yeah, it was gross. It was was really brutal. Meanwhile, while all this is taking place, Charlie is trying to track down his boss. Ben Ben Foster's character is trying to track down Russell Crowe. Um, he burns a man alive in a wagon while gathering information. Right, because they did a little decoy. Right. right? That's why he's after they, the wagon. He thought he was still in the wagon. Yeah, literally burns a dude alive. Which, by the way, how the hell did that guy get stuck with that job? <laughs> like, he yeah. had to have known he was going to get fucked up yeah. when he got caught. Like, that sucks, man. I mean, Charlie, Ben Foster character is just ruthless in this he movie. He is ruthless. And, like, weirdly so attached to this. Like, is there some weird, like, sexual thing that he's, like, pining after his boss? Or, like, I don't, like, I don't know what the deal is. It might be some sort of abandoned parent sort of thing where he thinks of Russell Crowe's character as a father. I mean, he literally, like, worships this guy. I'm not sure if it's, like, a pseudo-sexual thing, but, um... Anyway. But, yeah, he's, like, he, he has, like, a codependency on him, right? And he, uh really needs him in his life <laughs> i mean but you know the thing uh, something that really got me with this movie when when you see ben foster's character giving some of his speeches you see spittle come from his mouth right and, and that's one of the things in movies where i'm like that's a good character actor it's like if you can if you, if you can control your spittle <laughs> to perfection right you will have a job in Hollywood. I mean, just, just where they get to the point where they don't care if spit's flying at the other actors. Oh, yeah. Or snot coming out of your nose. <laughs> yeah. Like Viola Davis in Doubt. Oh, I haven't like, seen that one. You, I, I don't know if she was Yo, in control of that. I, I've heard that. That has... Um, Amy Adams, Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. Viola, Viola and, Davis. And what's his name? Philip that Seymour died? Hoffman. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Great R.I.P. Really cool connections. I really interesting want, things okay. with our situation. It's PG-13. Okay. And I believe won some Academy Awards. Definitely, uh, I think, Streep and Adams. And Viola Davis won. I know she won for Supporting Actress. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm going to have but to check it out. I, I've heard it recommended multiple times by one of my favorite podcasters, Jamie Loftus. So. Great, great film. Cool. But, um, 
Yeah, if you can control your spittle or any other bodily <laughs> fluids in the filming and in the act, like, kudos I, to you. I, I think it's just the point of actors losing themselves in the role. Sure, right? yeah, yeah. Completely but. losing yourself physically. So, um, while traveling through a shortcut on the cliffs, Ben gains the upper hand on McElroy and throws him off the cliff at this point. <laughs> right. <laughs> just another kind of heartless move by Ben. You know, right, we, right, we thought right. he was taking a very uh, gradual character arc, but he, it's kind of a roller coaster. There's, there's one scene that we didn't talk about that we kind of skipped okay. over. So, there's this scene where Russell Crowe's character, Ben Wade, starts insulting his manhood, basically. Yes. And his relationship with his wife. And uh, he loses his shit. Like uh, Dan. Dan loses Uh his shit, which is completely out of character for him. Yeah. And Russell Crowe's like, I don't like this side of you, Dan. Right. Because it's another, it's a more vicious side of Dan, but it's, it's... it's consistent with Dan's character. Sure, right? he's defending his family. Right, but but it, but it, sh- it oh, it's like this little link between them, like yeah, of their character and the way that they think. Uh huh. And that that was probably my favorite scene or one of my favorite scenes from the movie because it reveals so much about both of their characters and their interaction with each other. So it's it's a very non I, I call it a non toxic portrayal of honor among men. Okay, like. I, I don't know how to explain it, but just this concept of, of honor among men, which they both which both characters share, mm-hmm. right? Especially toward the end of the film, and I don't think it's a, like a patriarchal way of looking at the concept or anything. I think it's just honor among two individuals. You know, just, right. just the concept of honor is is important to both of them, and they show that throughout multiple points in this film. Right. I love. I don't. I I really like that. So also, uh, also we get some wonderful singing from Russell Crowe, like yeah. a, little, a little sneak peek into the future, Les Miserables. Oh, that's right. Which um, a lot of people criticized his singing. Yeah, it was movie. a little tongue in cheek. <laughs> but you know, he he kind of responded with, "I don't care. I'm not a singer." But you know, he he it's is like, "Fuck you! I got paid millions of dollars to do that." He <laughs> is. Um, <laughs> and he's like, "Drugs on you, bitches!" <laughs> Much much like Bruce Willis, he is a vocalist in in a band, I believe. Oh, very nice. So, I'm look up to that stuff. Anyway, um, as they camp out that night, they're about to be killed by a group of Apache. You know, Russell Crowe kind of warned the group beforehand: we shouldn't go, we shouldn't take the shortcut because right, it's through Apache they're, territory. They're desperate to get there ahead of his gang. Right. Ben Russell Crowe's character ends up saving the others during the night. He kills a couple Apache who, mm-hmm. who were about to kill the group. Ben makes. Another escape attempt, though, at this point, right? He, tr- he tries to escape the group. He tries to hide in this Chinese labor camp, but he's pretty quickly captured by one of the foremen of the camp, played by Luke Wilson. Yes, Mr. Luke Wilson. Right. So nice. <laughs> Another great performance With in this really movie. really nasty-looking teeth in this movie, I was just going to say. I noticed his teeth. Luke Wilson had a brother who was shot and killed by Ben and, and mm-hmm. his gang during a robbery. So he plans on torturing Ben to death, basically. Right. The group show up to recapture their prisoner. A gunfight ensues, and there's casualties on both sides. Yeah. Uh, they escape with Ben and arrive in contention a couple hours early, so they have to kind of hold up in a hotel. Uh, they have to wait for the 310 to Yuma with some extra security, some marshals. Charlie, though, shows up at this point. Charlie and the gang. It's Charlie and the gang. They show up in contention, and Charlie offers $200 to any man who can help right. Ben escape. And immediately, <laughs> you see 
every other character in this movie, aside from Russell Crowe and Christian Bale, have no morals, basically, yeah. whatsoever. Every single person. The lawmakers, the citizens, there's literally no one else in this movie has, a, you know, morals and honor other than Russell Crowe, the freaking bandit who murders people. And Dan, Christian and Bell. Dan, Christian. who is a one-legged guy who everyone thinks is just weak as fuck and right. they don't trust they, they him or believe in him. him. They don't yeah. believe in him at all. And they don't believe he's honorable. Right. And so can, can you be a weak person but still be an honorable person? It's like sure this yeah. question. like, But but people don't see it that way. Right. You know? Yeah. You, you mentioned the lawmen and the citizens. So, so the lawmen, a lot of them just give up their post at this point, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, I'm out. And then a lot of the citizens, they take the offer right. of $200 to, to help rescue yeah. Ben. So they kill all of the, whatever, the sheriffs or the lawmen that were there yeah. to protect them. They just kill them. They just the ruthlessly kill them, right? Just mercenary style or, or whatever you would I call it. I guess that's the coward's way out, and then they ended up paying for it. But then, Russell Crowe offers our main character, Dan Evans, he offers him, what, $1,000 mm -hmm. to just let him go. No one has to know. Yeah. But then, but then Dan says, "Well, what am I going to tell people when they say, oh, what? How did you get the money to pay for this?'" Right. You he know? knows it would it wouldn't be the honorable thing to it, do. He would lose his his honor, and that's more important than anything for him. Isn't that way. something? Isn't that rare? It is rare. I, I think it's I, um, very admirable. I I wrote down like, would I take the money? Would I take? I don't know. I probably would take the money. It's hard to know unless you're put in that situation. I'm. If I had to choose between dying and having a hundred, a thousand dollars to pay off all my debts and right. feed my family and live comfortably for right. a while, like I, tell me that's the wrong e choice. Even though you know what that money is going for or where it came from, it's, it's dirty money, right? It's blood money. But like, but the people, but the people trying to get Russell Crowe, the railroad people, and the, they're not. They have no morals. That, yeah. They're that, just that, as that's bad, blood honestly, money too. They're I just mean, as bad as Russell Crowe. Those railroads are built by. Slave labor, basically, right? Oh yeah, I mean, you see all the the, the Chinese building the, the, they, the they, labor. You camp. see it in the labor yeah. camp, yeah, in squalor. So anyway, I want guarantees that Hollander and his boys will never set foot on my land again, and that my water's gonna flow. And I expect you to hand my wife one thousand cash dollars when you see her. You got money to spare. I can deliver that. Just get him on the train. You heard him? I heard him. So Dan ups the ante on the deal, right? He made with the railroad representative, Butterfield. Mm -hmm. He agrees to escort Ben to the train for $1,000, exactly what uh, Ben offered him. Right. And he demands that his son get home safely. Mm -hmm. And also, one last thing, that his farm gets the water access needed to grow crops, right? So that they can continue being successful so and profitable. legacy, basically. Right. So Dan and Ben, at this point, they head outside. they dodging gunfire the whole way. Ben almost strangles Dan, but Dan reveals at this point why he's doing what he's doing. This is a very poignant scene. Mm -hmm. He reveals to Ben just what an honorable man, man he is, basically. Ben agrees to board the train. I had never been... No hero, Wade. Only battle I've seen. We was in retreat. My foot got shot off by one of my own men. You try telling that story to your boy. See how he looks at you then. Okay, Dan. What time is it? About ten past three. 
Where's the 310 of Yuma? Run late, I suppose. At this point, he, he sees Dan for who he really is. He feels sympathy for him or empathy or something. Yeah. He, he feels some sort of connection to him. Well, I mean, honestly, I, I think he feels that connection. We talked about how they're the only two characters in this whole film, movie that yeah. has honors, that has honor. I, I, I feel like there's some sort of connection that they real that he realizes they're not that different. Right. And like like this this final scene cements it, right? I'm right. sure he, he felt that throughout the movie, mm -hmm. little by little, but this scene just cements it. They're soulmates. <laughs> they're soulmates, Ryan. I mean, they might as well be. So Wade agrees to board the train. As Dan is about to board his prisoner on the train, he's shot by Charlie, who just arrives out of nowhere. That motherfucker. Not once. Not twice, not three times, but four fucking times in the chest. Mm. This was brutal. With Russell Crowe, of course, yelling, No, no! No! So Tried to call him off, man. He didn't listen. And then he makes this, this uh, snarky comment, right? So when I grant you, he's one tough son of a bitch. And as Dan is laying there dying, Ben recovers his gun belt, and in a real moment of clarity, he shoots Charlie. He shoots all of motherfuckers. And the rest of the fucking gang. Jesus. Just boop, 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 boop. Rapid fire. So, Dan's son runs to his dying father and tells him... You did it. You did it, Dad. Mm -hmm. You know? You done it, Paul. You done it. You got him on the train. Mm -hmm. All all Dan was trying to do this whole time was, was regain his honor. Especially in right. the eyes of his son and, and his family. You have the freaking railroad dude just watching to make sure that yeah. the guy ends up getting back on the train. Right. So, Russell Crowe, Ben Wade... Who didn't have to? He totally boards, just he boards goes back on the plane yeah. and the old on the train, <laughs> not, the, on, not the plane. Did I say plane? Sorry, plane. back on the train and the old, the old scraggly white-haired dudes are like, "Oh, you can have my seat." <laughs> and then they move over and he sits down and then they start going. Right. It's like he didn't even have to get back on the train, but he knew, you know, he was doing his boy a solid. And, and then one of the best moments of the movie, he <laughs> he whistles for his horse uh -huh. and his horse just rides along the train. Like he had it planned. So the whole you know what's gonna. Happen. But it kind of makes me mad. They went through all that shit, and they didn't even have to, and he gave us, basically gave his life for nothing. Would it be for nothing? Because, I mean, he because, saved his honor. His right? honor was the, most, was the most valuable exactly, thing to, to him, him. To him. That's what he most wanted, was to regain his honor in the eyes of, <sighs> the, of his family. But I can't help thinking that his death was just in vain. It's, 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 like, not, it's, it's not fair, man. He, he wasn't even looking for like honor with the world or anybody else, just with his just family. Him. Yeah. Right? Well, he got it, man. What a great dude. I love you, Christian Bale. <laughs> You're my hero. I mean, just great performances all around. We we finished the synopsis. Let's just get into final reviews of the movie. What do you think, Josh? So good. We talked about the characterization in this movie, the arcs, and comparing the characters. Great acting performances. And you know what? Even aside from all of the deep stuff that we talked about in this episode, the action, right on par. Just everything that you would want from a Western and more you get from this movie. So I, I, can I give it a perfect, can I give it a perfect score? I don't know if I can give it a perfect score. 
Maybe I can give it a perfect score, Ryan. You, you can do no. whatever you want. Can I give it a? I, I don't. I, you can do. You can do it, but I don't Ryan think you will. Ryan was shaking his head. Okay, four and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I just four. knowing you. I I knew you wouldn't give it a perfect score. But it was so freaking good. But I won't give it a perfect score. I'm going to give it four and a half golden idols. Okay. One of my favorite movies that we've talked about on the podcast, right up there with any of them. So four and a half golden idols. For 310 to Yuma. Right on. I mean, I've said what I need to say about this movie. It's one of my favorite westerns, one of my favorite modern day takes on the genre. Just a great cinematic uh, movie. I, I love the director. I love the performances. The cinematography is just amazing. Just the landscapes that they show. I'm not sure if they filmed any of it in Utah, but a lot of it looks like Utah territory. Mm -hmm. Just a great movie. Well-rounded characters. Well-rounded story. I'm going to give this movie a four and a half. Ooh, yeah. We're in the handhold. We agree. Club. All right. <laughs> I think you should actually hold hands. <laughs> Let, let's actually hold hands for the score. <laughs> there we go. We're holding hands for that a second. That was a shake. <laughs> <laughs> we shook hands. <laughs> Anyways, Marissa, I'm not sure you'll get your hand holding, but. Um, I love you guys anyway. It's okay. Thanks for sitting in with us for a little bit. So that was our review of 310 to Yuma. Josh, you have to pick a movie for next week. Okay, I don't know if we've mentioned it on the podcast. Because, you know, we are going to be filming, or filming, recording. Good God. We're going to be recording this very, very soon. Um, and we are prepared to talk about Total Recall on the next, yes, hand holding. We're holding hands for just a moment. Shaking our hands while we're holding it. I should take a picture of that. <laughs> okay, whatever. Josh, let go. I let go as soon as you said that. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about Total Recall. I'm super stoked about it. Super fun. Total Recall. Awesome. One going of my back favorite. To the, flashback to the, I guess, 90s because it was 1990. Back to Verhoeven. Mr. Verhoeven. Mr. Verhoeven. Is that what he sounds like in real life? I don't know. He's he's Dutch. What's what a Dutch accent sound like? I don't I don't know. <laughs> we're going to offend people. Let's not, let's not offend anyone. It's okay to offend the Dutch. No, I'm kidding. No. Anyways. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. Don't listen to him. Tune in to next week where we'll be talking about Total Recall. And have a great week. See ya. Rachel!